Chapter 3 of Theophilus, or Love Divine, by Pierre Dumoulin, translated by Richard Goring. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Of the marks and effects of the love of God. We all make profession to love God, but few love Him seriously. By this profession we deceive men, yea, we deceive ourselves, but cannot deceive God. Wherefore it is necessary to bring hither the touchstone to discern the true and pure love of God from the false and of base ally. As there are five degrees of true love, so are there also five marks to discern it. One, the first mark of the true love of God, is that it quencheth all unchaste loves. Two, the second mark and effect of this love is that it bringeth peace and tranquillity to the mind. Three, the third is charity towards our neighbours. Four, the fourth is, the pleasure to communicate often with God. Five, the fifth is, the zeal of the glory of God which rejoiceth or sorroweth according as God is honoured or dishonoured. Whosoever feeleth in himself these effects may assure himself that he loveth God with a true affection, yea, although that some coldness chance among this holy ardour, and that the love of himself be mingled with all, yet this love, for being weak, shall not let to be true provided it do daily go on tending unto perfection. Let us run over again each one of these marks, that we may know them more perfectly. The first mark of God's love. There are three sorts of love. The one, whereof, is ever good. The other is ever bad. The third, good of his own nature, but accidentally bad because of our bad disposition. That which is always good is the love of God, in which it is impossible to sin through excess. And in this point it is good to let slip the reins of our desires. The measure of loving God is to love him without measure. The love which is always bad is the love of murder, of theft, and of unchaste pleasures, etc. The love which, being good of its own nature, becometh evil by accident, is the love of meat, of drink, of ease, or recreation. Appetites which are naturally good and necessary, but which we make to be bad by excess and intemperance. The love of God doth diversely behave itself towards the other two sorts of love, for it ranketh the latter within the limits of mediocrity, and teacheth us to satisfy our necessity, and nod our curiosity. It rejecteth all far-fetched delicates, being the distaste of a proud stomach, which awakeneth itself with artificial means, teaching us to nourish this body, so that it may not be a hindrance to the soul, to watch and be sober, lest we enter into temptation. As for the second love, it can in no wise remain with the love of God, but the fear of God doth wholly cut it off, because that in a thing entirely bad we are not to seek for any mediocrity. None can be a fornicator, an adulterer, or a murderer by measure, for the least inclination unto these things is sin against God. But above all, the strength of God's love is shown in rooting out of our hearts unchaste love, which kindleth in the minds of worldly men a firebrand of filthy desires, which defile our souls with a thousand beastly thoughts, and importunate which of our bodies, dedicated to be temples of God, make an infectious brothel, and, as saith St. Paul, of the members of Christ, do make them the members of a harlot. Pleasures which weaken the body, cool the spirit, and abate courage, which after the strength is consumed, leave yet a desire. Infamous pleasures which place men beneath beasts, of which man in this point ought to learn the laws of continency and sobriety. Traitorous pleasures which embrace men to strangle them, dally with him on the lap of delight, as Delilah played with Samson, that they may deliver him not to the Philistines but unto the devil, who, having poked out the sinner's eyes, oftentimes lead him this way 
under the temple of the idol. Yet, as if this were not enough, man hath chosen out a painful way unto his pleasures. They are not esteemed, if not troublesome. The stolen waters are sweetest, saith Solomon, and the malice of man supposeth all other entries better than the legitimate. The love of God, entering into the spirit of any one for to purge it, doth presently void out this filth, and smothereth up this love by his greater force, which teacheth us to love in our neighbours, not their bodily beauty, but their soul's ornaments. This holy love, having for his object the chief of spirits, loveth consequently in men their spiritual beauty, a beauty which consisteth in the image of God, an image whose principal lineaments are justice and holiness, a beauty which is not superficial as that of the body, which hideth within itself blood, brain, and things which one may not behold without horror, but it is a beauty which extendeth itself under the bottom, as the beauty of a diamond or of the light itself. The beauty of the body is but a flower which is withered with age, but the beauty of the soul is not subject unto time, and which is more, the wrinkles which it hath are done out with time. Many women might have been more happy if they had been less beautiful, for their beauty hath plentifully afflicted them, but spiritual beauty is always accompanied with God's blessing. Besides, consider attentively the fairest visage of the world, and you will become never a whit more fair yourself, but shall rather seem the fouler being near it. But carefully to contemplate a soul which God hath embellished with virtue will make you become virtuous, and will form you according to his example. Carnal eyes perceive not this beauty, and pleasure knoweth not what it is. For as a horse loving a mare thinketh that in the world there is no other beauty, so the carnal and sensual man thinketh there is no other beauty but that which through the sight toucheth his desires. But the view of the faithful pierceth further, and oftentimes clean through a corporal beauty seeth the very image of the devil. Contrarywise, the inward beauty is oftentimes under an exterior foulness, as that of a slubbered diamond, as that of Jesus Christ during his opprobrious handling, whereof Isaiah in the fifty-third chapter saith that there was not in him either form or beauty, and yet in the forty-fifth psalm he is called the most fair among the sons of men, as the beauty of the church, whereof it is said in the first of canticles that she is brown and yet fair, being black without and burnt with afflictions, which notwithstanding blot not out her inward beauty. Therefore, that women, curious of their beauty, may rather study to adorn themselves inwardly, as it is said in the forty-fifth psalm, the king's daughter is full of glory within. Let them take heed, lest in decking artificially their bodies they become a snare of desires, an instrument in the devil's hand. A soldier, having a sword that hath surely served him in many combats, will be careful to scour and polish it, and do we marvel if the woman, having served Satan to overthrow Adam, be carefully decked and embellished by him, and that women are so curious in ornaments by the suggestion of the devil? But we whom God hath honoured with his knowledge, to the end we might be inflamed with this love, let us shut our eyes to these allurements, possessing, as saith St. Paul, our vessels in holiness. Abstain yourselves not only from evil, but also from all appearance and occasions of evil. Eschew idleness, for it is the pillow of vices. Let Satan, coming to assail you, find you ever occupied. Fly bad company, filthy talk, books of love, for they are firebrands of lusts, the hooks and baits of the devil. None cometh to do evil but by these accessories, yea, the evil is already in these accessories. Many will say that they are chaste of body, but their eyes, their ears, and their thoughts are culpable of lust. Yet Christ saith that he who looketh on his neighbour's wife to lust after her hath already committed adultery. 
The best company and the best business to divert our minds from this evil is the careful reading of the word of God joined unto prayer. St. Augustine, in the eighth book of his Confessions, chapter 8 and chapter 12, that when he was upon terms of rendering himself a Christian, that which most troubled him was that he must leave his fornication, and that in his combatful anguish he withdrew himself into a garden, where twice he heard the voice of a child, as it were, coming from the houses hard by, saying, Take and read. At this voice he took the book of the Epistles of St. Paul, and chanced at the first opening of the book on this text of the thirteenth chapter of the Romans, where he saith, Let us walk honestly, as in the daytime, not in riot and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, neither in strife nor envy, but put you on the Lord Jesus Christ, and have no care of the flesh to fulfil the lusts thereof. There was enough for him, and thereupon, were it that this voice came from God, or that it chanced by other means, he resolved to follow the counsel of the apostles, who without looking for any revelation thereupon, doth sufficiently manifest unto us the will of God, touching the laying off of these desires. The second mark of the love of God. This same love bringeth forth another effect, by which it is to be known, to wit, the peace and tranquillity of the soul. It chaseth away fears, assuageth cares, sweeteneth afflictions. For what evil soever happeneth him who loveth God, he will ever remember the sentence of the Apostle, Romans 8, that all things turn to the best for them which love God. Even their crosses become blessings, their bodily poverty is a spiritual diet unto them, their banishments teach them to leave the world, their sequestering from honours is their approach unto God, their enemies are their physicians, causing them to be wary and to live in God's fear, their corporal diseases are spiritual cares, death is an entry into life and a bringing forth by which the soul is delivered of the body as of her last afterbirth, and cometh forth of a dark den to enter into God's light. The passage through afflictions resembleth the passage of the Red Sea, for the wicked are overwhelmed therein, they are unto them forerunners of damnation, but the faithful and God's people find that way a passage unto the land of promise. This very same love of God will suggest unto the faithful this thought, Seeing that I love God, it is certain that he loveth me, for St. John saith that we love him, because he loved us first. For I had not naturally in me any inclination to love him, but it was he who, loving me, framed my heart to love him. Now if God love me, he intendeth my good, and he can do all that he will, nothing happeneth but according to his will. He will not then permit that any evil happen me. He will turn my evils unto good for my salvation. He will lead me thereunto, through a way thorny unto flesh, but healthful to my soul." Briefly, the love of God excludeth fears, and is the prop of our assurance, as saith the Apostle St. John. There is no fear in charity, but perfect charity driveth forth fear. This same love sweeteneth afflictions, and maketh our Lord's yoke easy and tolerable. For you shall see by experience that in a house where love is great between the husband and the wife, they pass the bad time over with content, and have mutual consolation one of another. Yea, to have a faithful friend into whose bosom you may shed your tears and pour forth your complaints doth bring a man much ease, although it bring no remedy. How much more shall the faithful soul find and feel in the love of his God? Of God, who not only knoweth our evils, counteth our sighs, layeth up our tears in his vessels, but who can and will remedy them, and not only remedy them, but turn them to good, giving us in our afflictions not only occasion to suffer, but even matter of rejoicing. So the faithful speak in the 46th psalm, Let the waters of the sea make a noise, and let the mountains shake by the rising of his waves. 
In the meantime, the brooks of the river shall rejoice the city of God. These troublesome waters are the people banded against God, as it is expounded in the Apocalypse, chapter 17. These brooks, which in the meantime do rejoice the holy city, are the instructions of God's word, whose voice is our consolation. For in his afflictions the faithful will turn aside his eyes from his enemies, and from all second causes, and will say, Lord, it is thou that hast done it. I receive this affliction at thy hand, make this proof healthful unto me, and permit not that I ever come to murmur against thee or to kick against the prick. We swallow with a better resolution a bitter portion when it is presented us by a friendly hand, whose ignorance or falsehood we fear not. We find all these things in God, who moreover maketh venoms themselves to prove good medicines. So the love of God is a retreat and shelter against all anguish, it is the ground of true peace, it is the prop of our assurance, which causeth us to despise the threatenings of men, and to look on the enterprises of great men, and the risings of people with disdain, which causeth us to find ease on the rack, and to look on death's face with assurance, and take off his mask to see Jesus Christ, which cometh unto us under that show, which maketh the faithful to stand upright in the midst of the ruins of his country. This holy love made St. Paul to say, Romans 8, if God be with us, who shall be against us? He which hath not spared his own Son, but delivered him over for us, how shall he not give us all things with him? Let us likewise say, He that layeth up our tears, will not he gather up our prayers? He without whose providence a sparrow lighteth not on the ground, would he permit that our souls should fall into hell for lack of caring for them? He who extendeth his care to gather up our tears, Yea, to count our hairs, how much more care will he have of our souls, for which his son hath died? This same love may David say, Psalm 23, Even when I should walk in the way of the shadow of death, I would fear none evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and staff do comfort me. Hereby we may judge what difference there is between loving God and men. Let us not speak of the weakness of our friends to deliver us, their little constancy in their love, Yea, and of the cruel officiousness of some friends who desire to see their friends in trouble, to make them beholding unto them for succouring them. And let us talk that which is best and honestest in our friendships. I say then, if there be any one who loveth a dozen persons faithfully, he must then necessarily be miserable, for it is a very likely matter that one of a dozen persons will ever be in trouble, or sick, or afflicted. If then a man shall, according to the laws of friendship, participate in his friend's afflictions, shall he not, by having many friends, be in perpetual misery? And if any one of them be absent, it is a subject of continual apprehension. So that many are of opinion that to be obdurate and without compassion is commodious. Faithful friendships are kinds of sicknesses ingenious to fear, and which from diverse parts draw unto themselves grief and compassion. The love of God hath none of these incommodities, for we love him for whom we can be in no fear, and who puts us out of all fear for ourselves, and warranteth us from all evil. Now if the love of God be so full of rest in comparison of the most faithful and honest friendships amongst men, how much more then in comparison of unhonest loves which torture the conscience, which hide themselves for shame, where spending, riot, jealousy, lyings in wait, and alterations of humours torment the mind with a perpetual unquietness. The third mark of the love of God. In the third place, the love of God is manifested by the love of one's neighbour. It is impossible to love God and hate his image, to love Jesus Christ, who is the head, and hate his neighbours, who are his members. 
It were as if a man kissing another should tread on his toes. Things unsufferable, as saith the Apostle St. John, he who saith he loveth God and hateth his brother is a liar. For whoso loveth not his brother whom he seeth, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? That is to say, if he have not so much as natural love, how can he have the supernatural? Wherefore, in the summary of the law expressed in the gospel, unto the love of God is adjoined the love of our neighbor as a necessary consequent, and an undoubted proof. And the apostle St. Paul saith that all the law is accomplished in this word alone, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Not that it is enough to love one's neighbor without loving God, but because the love of one's neighbor doth necessarily presuppose the love of God. Now, if we ought to love our neighbors for God's sake, it followeth that above all we ought to love those which love God, following the commandment of the apostle unto the Galatians, chapter 6. Let us do good unto all, but principally unto the household of faith, with whom we have many good things in common, to be together children of one father, and likewise brethren of Jesus Christ, nourished with the same meat which is the word, of one household, namely the church, travellers and pilgrims together, combatants for one selfsame cause, called unto one selfsame hope, co-heirs of one selfsame kingdom, all which are considerations resembling many lines, which do all meet in one point. For these are obligations to love one another, who do all of us meet in Jesus Christ, in whom we are all one, because we are one with him. This charity amongst the faithful is extended two ways. The one is the charitable relieving of our afflicted brethren. The other is peace and concord among ourselves. As touching our brotherly relief, it necessarily cometh from the love of God, as St. John saith, Whoso shall have goods in this world, and see his brother in necessity, and shall shut up his compassion, how shall the love of God dwell in him? Also, God appointeth himself a rewarder of alms, as done unto himself, yea, even unto a cup of cold water, Matthew 10. To give unto the poor is to lend out money for usury unto God, Proverbs 19. Of all that we possess, we shall save nothing but that which we shall have thus given. By this means, saith Jesus Christ in Luke 16, we make ourselves friends which shall receive us into the everlasting tabernacles. Thou fearest to lease thy money by giving it, and yet the bestowing it in alms is the means to keep it. Thou fearest to lease thy money by giving it, and fearest not to lease thyself by keeping it. For our goods, avariciously reserved, are not only spoiled, but do also spoil and corrupt our spirits. It will be for this sin that God will judge the wicked at the latter day. Matthew 25. The wicked rich man, who despised the poor Lazarus, craving a morsel of bread, doth now beg of Lazarus a drop of water to allay his heat, and heat begun by the retention of those goods which were due to the poor, which, as St. James saith, shall consume the flesh of the rich like fire, and are as a treasure gathered for them against the latter day. And justly are they ranked with murderers, for as there is two ways to put out a lamp, either by blowing it, or not pouring in oil in good time, so the covetous man, if he take not away the life of the poor by killing him, at least he suffereth him to wither and dry away for lack of pouring into him some liberality. The root of this duty is the love of God, which redounds upon his members, wherefore also, as the love of God is free and voluntary, so also must not our arms be forced, or unwillingly done, but free and voluntary. God loveth a cheerful giver, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 5, saith the Apostle St. Paul. And to this purpose he calleth there in that same place arms deeds a seed, a seed which we cast in the earth, but gather the crop in heaven. 
seeing then we must give cheerfully, it is here the contrary of that which is said in the 126th Psalm, those which shall sow in tears shall reap in joy and triumph. For he who shall sow this relief with tears shall reap with grief. None shall reap with joy in heaven if he have not joyfully sowed upon earth. An alms given unwillingly doth not only lease all reward, but also deserveth no pardon. It fareth alike with alms which are vaingloriously given, and to be seen of men, which our Lord condemneth in the sixth of Matthew. Also it fares alike with alms done of goods ill-gotten, who, having enriched himself by fraudulent means and extortion, thinks to appease God by giving part of his robberies in alms, goes about to corrupt God with presents, and call him to take part of the spoil. As in the law God received not as an offering neither the price of a dog nor the hire of the lecher, so in the gospel God will that alms, which the apostle to the Hebrews calleth a sacrifice, should be of just things, and gotten by labour, that he who hath stolen steal no more, but rather labour with his hands, that he may have to give unto him that hath need. Ephesians 4. Whereof, when Jesus Christ in the sixteenth of St. Luke, will that we give alms of unjust riches, he calleth riches their evil, not because they were unjustly gotten, but because that ordinarily they are enticements and baits of iniquity, otherwise he would sooner have commanded them to be rendered unto such as they had been wrongfully taken from. This same love of God produceth peace and concord amongst brethren, for it is impossible to love God without imitating him. Now he is the God of peace, Romans 16. We must therefore be children of peace in imitation of him, for so are the faithful called in the tenth of Luke. To this purpose, in the nineteenth of the first of Kings, God is represented as not being in the storm and boisterous wind, but in the still and quiet sound, because God is not amongst confusions and quarrels, amongst persons which eat up one another, but amongst those which be at peace and unity. But the devil liveth upon discord, and is a friend unto strife. Even as men cause two dogs or cocks to fight together for pleasure, the lookers-on encouraging them to the combat. So doubt you not, but when two men fight together, the devil pricketh them on, and taketh pleasure thereat. Let us take heed, lest before we be aware, we make ourselves the devil's babble or pastime. We, I say, that be brothers, who have all the world on our skirts, who by one selfsame combat do tend to one selfsame hope, call to repair the breaches of Jerusalem, to build again the house of God, in the view, and despite of the devil. It is written in the first of Kings, chapter 6, that Solomon's temple was builded without any noise, there was not one stroke of a hammer heard. Let us labour in the work of God without any noise and without strife. And here may and ought to be remembered the advertisement which Joseph gave to his brethren at their going out of Egypt, to return to their father. He sent them away and said unto them, Fall not out by the way. For what is the life of a faithful man but an issue out of Egypt, a voyage to return home to our father? Let us not quarrel then on the way. Let us live in peace, and the God of peace will remain with us, whom we shall love the more ardently when we are joined in affections for to love him. The fourth mark of the love of God. We presume that such are friends whom we ordinarily see together. Communication and familiarity are the nurses of friendship, yea, more than good turns. He which doth a pleasure with a severity, withdrawing his company from all, who giveth with a refusing countenance, like one that should fling his bread at a beggar's head, doth unbind in binding, and is paid well enough if his benefits be pardoned. Friendship also requireth that a friend 
should in all things be advised by his friend, discharge unto him his cares, discover his sorrows, and pour all his grief into his bosom, to take counsel of him if there be any remedy, and to ease himself if there be none. This is then also one of the marks of the love of God, to wit, a frequent communication, by which the faithful Christian doth counsel or consolate himself with God. For the man which loveth God, being to deliberate upon anything of importance, doth first consult with the oracle of God's mouth, and inquireth after his will. As, for example, upon the choice of religion he will not call the belly to counsel, nor worldly hopes, he will not imitate the Shechemites, which took the seal of God's covenant upon them, to have the substance and cattle of the children of Jacob, nor the Jews, which in the sixth of St. John follow Christ to have bread. He will not make Jesus Christ serve him for a purvey, or nor religion to be a merchandise of the time, or a dependency of his domestical affairs. The fear of men, shame, respect, worldly honours, covetousness, like blind and traitorous counsellors, shall not be admitted unto this counsel, but he will withdraw himself unto God, and, after having ardently craved his grace, he will resolve to believe nothing but what he teacheth us in his word, wherein, if there be any difficulty, yet that which remaineth clear is sufficient for our instruction. He addeth hereunto that if he demand faithfully in Jesus Christ his name, the grace to understand enough for his salvation, Jesus Christ promiseth that all which we shall so demand in his name he will give us. Likewise, if he be to make a match or choose any vocation, he will first counsel himself with God that he may choose that vocation in which he shall be least solicited to offend God, and in which he shall have most means to glorify him. After this consultation, human wisdom may be heard in her rank, not as a mistress to rule the roost, but as a servant who speaketh when he is questioned. She shall propound what our forces are, what the present necessity is, what the courses of the time and the circumstances of places and persons. In like sort, if there be any question of marriage, the faithful will before all other things consult with God's mouth, and will hear the Apostle St. Paul, 1 Corinthians 7, commanding that it be done in the Lord, and God himself in the seventh of Deuteronomy, charging us not to contract marriage, but with true believers. So Isaac and Jacob were married by the commandment of their fathers, but Esau took unto him wives of the Gentiles, which were a bitterness unto Isaac and Rebekah. I pass over the consideration of the inconveniences which do spring thereof, for at this time we do seek only after the proofs and effects of the true love of God. For if a friend should marry himself without communicating the matter unto his friend, might he not take occasion to say, You do mistrust me, and do all your business without speaking thereof unto me? Now if God hath communicated unto us all his counsel, as saith St. Paul, Acts 20, shall we make difficulty to let him know ours? His counsel, I say, which is a bottomless depth of wisdom, full of wholesome and holy mysteries, on the contrary, our counsels, which are but light things, and wherein he will be our counsellor for our good, and which he knoweth without our communicating them. Certainly the word of God is our good counsellor, who counselleth us without flattery, who ruleth us without ambiguity. And the prophet Isaiah, chapter 9, calleth Jesus Christ the counsellor, not only because he hath manifested to us the counsel of God in the gospel, but because he is to counsel us in our doubts, and resolve us in our deliberations. 
That which I say of our difficulties ought also to be understood of our sorrows in which we ought to address ourselves to God, make our complaint to Him, pour out our tears, and discover our afflictions unto Him with a sun-like liberty. And though He know them well without this communicating, yet will He thereby give us ease and contenting. Take example hereof in the Psalms of David, where you have an anatomy of the thoughts of the faithful and the picture of a diverse agitation within him. You shall see many psalms, as the sixth, the twenty-second, the fifty-first, etc., where the beginnings are full of fear, and the entry full of anguish, and, as it were, within two fingers of despair, but in the end you see nothing but joy and assurance, so that you would think that the psalm were composed by two men of contrary humours. From whence cometh this so sudden change? Was it that in the midst of his prayer some good news arrived, which might allay his grief? No such matter, but thus, that according as he grew more and more fervent with God, his soul rising from under her burden, stayed herself upon his promises, and came forth with peace and assurance. Who is that faithful Christian, who hath practised this exercise, and hath not felt ease? And if an obstinate pensiveness which holdeth the hands still on the wound, seize on our spirits and consume them, ought it not to be imputed unto the want of communicating with God? For tears suppressed procure double smart, and, although but unprofitably spent, yet do they discharge us of grief, and give air unto the wound. But being spent before God, who hath bound himself by promise, yea, even by oath, not to abandon us, doth bring us a great consolation. Before God, I say, who doth register our requests, yea, even preventeth them. So far forth as David saith in the thirty-second psalm, that God hath pardoned him his sin, not only after his prayer, but even as soon as he had any will to crave it. For he requireth not any prayers of us, because he hath need of our service, but because we have need of his grace, and that according to his justice it cannot be given to those which shall not deign to crave it. As the sun draweth up vapours from the earth, not for itself, but to render them to the earth in rain to moisten and fatten it, so God, the true Son of our souls, draweth from our sighs and prayers, not for his own profit, but to make them rain down again upon us in so many blessings. This same frequent communication with God in our afflictions will teach us to turn away our eyes from men which do afflict us, towards God who doth employ them, that we may not be like the angry dog which biteth the stone which is cast at him. The man that shall love will say, as David, when Shimei cursed him, Suffer him to curse, for the Lord hath bidden him. The Lord proveth me, or correcteth me, my sins fortify mine enemies, and make them necessary. The strokes of God are more wholesome than the flatteries of the world. In our domestic harms let us take heed of resembling such hurt men as, falling into frenzy, do tear all things prepared to dress them withal. Yea, even out of affliction and in full prosperity, what sweetness and pleasure is there in this communication? For according to the commandment of our Saviour, Matthew 6, the faithful shall enter into his closet, and having shut his door shall pray unto his Father, who seeth him in secret, and who will reward him openly. There being covered from the eyes of men, he shall discover himself before God with less distraction and more familiarity. There, after having spoken to himself, he will frame his own indictment and condemn himself that God may pardon him. And taking the law as a looking-glass, he will acknowledge therein the spots of his soul, will seek to cover them by faith, and to correct them by repentance. There he will meditate upon the works of God throughout the world, 
his judgments against his enemies, his benefits towards his church, and particularly unto himself, how God hath guided him, instructed him, and brought him unto his knowledge. How many monarchs and peoples have set themselves against the church, being weak and contemptible in appearance, and have crushed themselves there against. But the church of God subsisteth, and so shall do unto the end. Yea, even using a ladder, as it were, in his meditation, he shall raise himself to the contemplation of the works of our redemption, marking therein how God would have the remedies proportionable unto the evil. For because man, desiring to make himself like unto God, by exalting himself, is fallen into death, God, having made himself like unto man, by abasing himself, hath restored him unto life. And as the woman brought unto man the fruit of death, so God would that woman, to wit, the holy virgin, should bring man the fruit of life. And as out of the profound sleep of the first Adam, God drew him forth a woman, who was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, so by the death of the second Adam, which the scripture calleth asleep, God hath gotten him a spouse, that is to say, his church, which is one body with him. In this same meditation he will admire how in one person God hath united himself unto man, having joined the author of life with a mortal body, shutting up all his celestial treasures in a vessel of earth, to the end we might there draw of his fullness. How by the infirmity of this flesh he vanquished the force of Satan, from his extreme shame hath drawn exceeding glory, from the death of that man drawn the life of all men, by that very same virtue, through which, in the beginning of the world, he had drawn light out of darkness. In this contemplation, as being inflamed with this divine love, he will raise up himself through faith, even under the joys of heaven, where God discovers himself face to face, where the harps of saints sound forth, and where the seraphims, assisting before the throne, cry, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Oh, how sweet a thing is it to join unto these their praises, and have a part in this celestial harmony! One only beam of this glory in the transfiguration of Jesus Christ on the mountain had taken away from St. Peter the remembrance of his home and of his wife and family. It were good, said he, that we stayed here, and would have set up tents there. How much more would he have been ravished if himself had been transfigured? As the Apostle saith, that Jesus Christ shall transform our vile bodies, that they may be made like unto his glorious body. Who doubteth but that when this glory vanished, St. Peter was seized with great sorrow, and so indeed the heart of the faithful coming from this meditation again to consider these base and earthly things is necessarily touched with a great distaste and base esteem of them, and is grieved to see himself tied thereunto, and to say with David, Psalm 42, O when shall I present myself before the face of God? It was these thoughts which made the prophet greedy and thirsty after the Lord, these were the thoughts which made Paul desire to be dislodged and to be with Christ, which made him think that which was gain unto others to be loss unto him. These are the thoughts which have even in our time sustained the martyrs, which have made them go unto death as cheerfully as those which come thence. For love is strong, saith Solomon, as death, yea, stronger, seeing it maketh one to despise life. This ardour of love is entertained in our souls by a frequent communication with God, and we may easily see that the cause of our slackness and coldness in this love is because we speak not often with God. The most exquisite friendships do wax cold for want of communication, how much more if friendship hath never been, as indeed man is naturally born and inclined unto enmity with God. This is a common evil, to wit, that we are much exercised in speaking with others, but very little with ourselves, and yet less with God. 
if some hours of leisure do steal us from men, they give us not any wit the more unto God. If we enter alone into our closet, we enter not ever the sooner into ourselves to examine our consciences, to search our wounds, to feel the pulses of our consciences, or to talk with God. And yet none shall see him above, who hath not carefully sought him here below, and hath not carefully walked with him by prayers, meditations, and by the study and reading of the word. This let us study, and from our lives, which is divided into a thousand parts, among a thousand occupations, sweets, solicitations, public and domestic affairs, let us withdraw some hours to give ourselves unto God, retiring ourselves out of the throng and noise of this world, quietly to meditate on those things which pertain to our salvation, as if by a little channel we would divert a part of the troubled waters of a stream, that they may run more gently and clearly. A running brook presenteth not any images, nor a spirit which is ever in action, and always pushed with business. Hardly can he frame himself under the image of God. We must then separate some hours to speak with God. All the time of our life is lost, except that which is thus husbanded. That time alone is only ours which we give to God. Let none here allege his domestic affairs, for if we be God's children, his service is part of our domestic affairs. Yea, and whilst we are doing our handiworks, what hindereth us, that we may not think of God, and send him up, by our broken sighs, those sort of prayers which the ancient fathers called ejaculatorie, short prayers which may be said everywhere, prayers lanced forth, spiritual sallies born of the present occasion, prayers which have no other ornament but fervency, whose clauses have no other contexture but necessity. Who doubteth but that the prophet Elisha ploughing of his field, of that very labour of his, took occasion to say, We sow here in tears, but we shall reap in heaven with joy? Or that the apostle St. Paul, labouring with his hands to make tents, of this earthly travail, took occasion to think of our heavenly rest? The way is everywhere open unto prayer, and the love of God is ingenious to suggest thoughts, which, like sparks of piety, mount up unto God. The fifth mark of the love of God. The life of the body is discerned by these two marks. 1. By motion. 2. By feeling. The love of God, being the life of our souls, is also known by these two things. The four marks of this love, which we have hitherto presented, are the motions of our souls, for they are holy actions and spiritual motions produced by the love of God. But this fifth mark is the feeling, to wit, an affection which maketh a man sensible to be moved, either with grief or with joy, according as God is blasphemed or glorified. Carnal and vicious love may serve us for an example. We read of the son of King Antigonus, that, being grievously sick and none knowing the cause of his malady, his physician perceived the cause to be the love of his mother-in-law, because that she being entered into the chamber, his pulse began to beat extraordinarily. The like happeneth in the love of God. All men that are therewith possessed, when that they see God glorified or his name and his truth blasphemed, although he intend to contain himself, yet will the pulse of his conscience be extraordinarily moved, either with joy or sorrow and impatience. It will chance him, as it happened unto Crasius his son, who, having been ever dumb, came suddenly to his speech, seeing his father assailed, fear and grief having overcome all natural hindrances. For the Spirit of Jesus Christ dwelling in him, produceth the same effects in him as in himself, of whom, it is written, the zeal of thy house hath eaten me up. This affection did exulcerate the Apostle St. Paul, being at Athens, and grieved his soul to see the town so given to idolatry. 
This same zeal, was it, which seized on the soul of Eli, his daughter-in-law, so as in her death she was not so much afflicted, either for his or for her husband's, as for the Ark of the Covenant which was taken by the infidels. It is of this alone that she speaketh dying. The glory of the Lord, saith she, is departed from Israel. There is no more certain effect of the love of God than this here, for if at one time we receive several news, the one of the loss of a lawsuit, the other of the revolt of some persons bought, and are more grieved with the last than the first, or if we be more angry to hear God's name blasphemed than to hear ourselves evil spoken of, then have we in us an assured witness that the love of God is lively imprinted in our souls. Good blood will not belie itself. All well-born children are touched at the quick with the injuries are done unto their fathers. Whoso is not moved therewith confesseth himself a bastard or a stranger. This is an evil which we see before our eyes to our great grief, that unto them which make profession to carry weapons and to understand the terms of reputation, if one speak the least cross word, it is enough to cut another's throat, so that they confess their lives to be little worth, seeing they will hazard them for so little, making it an every day's exercise. But if God be blasphemed and his truth slandered, if his name be abused before their eyes, they remain unmovable and bear a part therein. We are lepers without feeling in spiritual things, but very sensible in carnal. We go for curiosity unto sermons where God's truth is opposed against, and our presence by the weak taken for an approbation. But we would be loath to be found in a place or company where the honour of our house should be defamed, but to contradict the same. Let us undergo at this point a voluntary condemnation, and let us acknowledge that this spiritual feeling is very feeble in us, to the end we may crave of God to awaken it by quickening us with his love. From these five degrees and five marks you may easily gather that the love of God consisteth not only in having a good opinion of him, or to have a good feeling, or to speak well of him, but that chiefly it consisteth in obeying him and conforming us to his will. So God in his law saith, that he showeth mercy unto them which love him, but he addeth, and which keep my commandments. And Jesus Christ, John 14, Whoso loveth me will keep my sayings. And the same apostle, in another place, My little children, love not in word, neither in tongue only, but in deed and in truth. So St. James saith, That pure and undefiled religion before God is to visit the fatherless and widows in their adversity, and to keep ourselves unspotted of the world. But there be many that are religious in speech, not in actions, and who study to be more skilful, not more wise, who confess God with their lips, but deny him in their hearts, like unto those which struck Jesus Christ, saying, Hail, Master, or to Rabshakeh, who spake not the language of the people of God, but for to dishonour him withal. He knoweth not God, who loveth him not, and he loveth him not, who obeyeth not his will. The children of Eli were instructed in the will of God, for being priests they taught it unto others, and yet the scripture saith, 1 Samuel 2.12, that they knew not God, because they loved him not. The kingdom of God, saith St. Paul, lieth not in words, but in power. It is even so with his love. So David, in the 33rd Psalm, saith that praises are very comely, but he addeth, in the mouths of just men. As for the wicked, God saith unto him, in the 50th Psalm, Wherefore takest thou my words into thy mouth? For this cause was it that Jesus Christ, when the devil confessed him, said unto him, Hold thy peace, hold thy peace. For the praise of God and the truth of religion are vilified and debased in the mouth of the wicked, and thereby lose their authority. 
for she is made a companion of vice, and the livery of God's children becometh by this means a cloak of impiety. Thou sayest, I love God, but dost despise his will. I love God, but dost hate the image of God. Canst thou love God without following him, or follow such as do good to their enemies, whilst thou livest in discord with thy brethren? We protest all of us to love God, but we better love the increase of our monies than the advancement of his cause. We protest to fear him, but we do not fear to do before him such things as we would shame to do before men. Who is that quarreller or thief that will strike or steal in the presence of the judge? And for all this, what do we not in God's sight, the judge not only of our actions, but also of our thoughts? We protest to love Jesus Christ, and yet abandon his members which are the poor. We spend more in a quarter of an hour at play than in a whole year in alms. The superfluity of our attire would clothe a great number of poor. All is spent in pleasure and nothing in piety. All is for our covetousness and nothing for God's sake. Doth that man love God, which will not willingly speak unto him nor of him, or who talketh no counsel of God in his distress, or who is not touched with the zeal of his glory? In the meantime there is none amongst us who maketh not profession to love God, which showeth that we love him in gross, but hate him in retail, this being in general and gainsaid in particular. We speak of heaven, but have our hearts on the earth. By this means, if one mark apart our love to God, it may be found some special matter, but if we balance it with our love of the world, our pleasures, our riches, our preferments, it is found very light, so that our love is a kind of disesteem and almost an hatred. Let us take heed to ourselves, for we shall not be judged according to this general profession, but according to our particular actions. And if so it be that we love not God as we ought, or if we love some other thing with him otherwise than for his sake, how shall we subsist before him, loving anything better than he? Yea, even against him, loving that which God hateth, to it the world and the desires thereof, and cherishing his enemies in his presence. End of chapter 3